Hello and welcome to MYP Decoded. In this series of podcasts, we aim to do what it says on the tin. Parts of the Middle Years program can tend to be a little confusing. So in these chats, we hope to demystify and explain aspects of the program in some detail. The podcasts are aimed at current or future MYP parents, educators who are interested in finding out more about the IB world, and teachers new to the MYP. I'm Vaughan Kitson. If you'd like to comment or inquire about any aspects of these podcasts, please contact me on LinkedIn or send me an email. Details can be found in the episode description. I'd love to refer to any feedback in future episodes. And of course, please subscribe and share this if you like what you hear. In this first episode, I'm really excited to be able to have a chat with Ms. TJ Button. TJ is the secondary school librarian here at Raha. As you'll soon discover, the term school librarian bears little resemblance to how many parents might envisage the role based on their experiences at school. Welcome, TJ. Thank you. Um, it's really exciting to be your first guest. This is also my first podcast. Hey, um, the pleasure is all mine. Um, it's taken me long enough to get to this point, but you know how life goes, um, gets in the way. So, two introverts doing a podcast together. Who would have thought? Right. Now, could you just tell us a little bit about your journey, which brought you to where you are now, here in Abu Dhabi, and how you became the librarian here? Okay, well, I became a teacher back in 1995, and I finished my degree in physics, going on to specialize in medical physics. Then I completed my postgraduate certificate in education. I think the courses I chose really mashed my passions. The physics, my love of systems and logic. The medical side was heavy on technology and research. The teaching certificate, I told my parents I was taking in case I ever needed a fallback career. But actually, in those days, I had no interest in children. I loved teaching because of the drama element, uh, which incidentally is a subject my parents did not allow me to take. Um, so I taught physics and general science in Wales, the Caribbean, Oman and London before randomly but enjoyably moving to a spell of executive hotel management. I arrived in Abu Dhabi as a circumstance of my husband's job. I'd stopped working with two small kids, one of which was at Raha. I began helping out working in administration part-time in the school because I do love organising. Yes, you do, yes. (laughs) And then the assistant librarian position became available. I applied for the job and realised that I was much more suited to being an IB librarian than I ever would have imagined. After a couple of years working in the library and several courses to gain appropriate certification, combined with a lot of background reading, when the librarian left on maternity leave, I felt ready and excited to take on the position. Thanks, and I believe strongly that your wide range of experiences and interests add massive value to the way you approach the role and the way you interact with our student body, which, by the way, has over 80 nationalities and something like 50 mother tongue languages. So the main reasons that I wanted to have you on this first podcast with me is to articulate one of the most important aspects of being a student in this day and age, and that is the ability to process information. Of course, processing information is not unique to an IB student, and terms like research, source, citation certainly won't make too many people jump up and down with excitement, but I'm hoping that through our discussions we'll discover that the IB's approach to developing the skills associated with effectively processing information is something to celebrate, and I'd argue that it's an aspect of their child's education that many parents could probably do with a bit of upskilling themselves. 
Perhaps you could start by setting the scene for us. Why is it information processing so essential? And what are some of the potential problems or pitfalls which students are faced with? To be honest, the first time I recall doing proper research was probably in my first year of uni. And nowadays we have 11-year-olds in grade 6 already acknowledging sources and creating bibliographies. Oh, yeah. I do remember the good old days when you could go to the library and pretty much trust that if it was in a book, it was likely to be true. Of course, these days, even books can be self-published by anyone. Information is everywhere. With the internet, websites, YouTube videos, Insta, Snapchat, wikis, everybody's got a voice, even if they're not qualified to be speaking on that subject. I'm fairly sure that if you gave me a few minutes on the web, I could find a resource that would tell you that smoking's good for you. You know, the idea that fake news is out there is fairly well accepted these days, but that doesn't really stop people believing it. True, true, true indeed, yes. The skills of being a good researcher pertain not only to academic assignments, but now are an essential life skill, and students need to be able to fully evaluate information in every format. They need to be able to judge the difference between an opinion and a fact. A portion of the work I do with students involve looking at acknowledgements when using sources and acknowledging the sources they in turn use in their own books. And this process aids assurance in the credibility of their work. Without the necessary skills to effectively navigate the sea of data and information, many young people are likely to develop bad habits which are hard to break, correct? Yes, we do see unfortunately some bad habits forming. I think really this is because Education has evolved, uh, has evolved. And back in my day, if you could remember a lot of facts, you were the top of the class. Well, today that makes you no better than Siri. The bad habits you mentioned, <laughs> it's true. Um, if I can just touch on a few of them. I find some students are caught between old school learning and modern education with a feeling that the teacher only wants to see them regurgitate facts. A portion of students still think it's okay to simply cut and paste something from a website. This problem goes far beyond the obvious issue that to copy somebody else's work is plagiarism. It is about the student's idea of the value of education and their position and importance in the learning process. You see, Command C does little to include brain cells without processing the information. So later recall will be, the later recall of that information will be hindered. Yep. So really what we try to aim for students to be able to do is to paraphrase. And here comes our next problem. Because sometimes students get caught into thinking that paraphrasing is a replication of the text or the source in the text, the text of the source they're using, just put into different words. I think that's that's common uh, common belief or assumption of what paraphrasing is, yes. But what would be the purpose of that? The paraphrase needs to have a purpose. Maybe it's going to be something like um, to support their own ideas um, or their take on the subject, maybe to summarize the information, or maybe even just to enhance understanding by writing it in more colloquial language, but it needs to have a purpose. Now, the best way a student can make sure that they're processing the information that they use is to consider the inquiry question, the question that they're trying to answer, and to take notes from their sources. And then they need to write the responses to their inquiry questions using the original sources, but without having them open. So they're actually using their notes instead. So they're actually writing with their own voice. 
Of course, I do need to remember to acknowledge the um, the original authors of the information and say where they have got that information from. This is all a very mature skill. It is a mature skill, yes, and, and students don't always get it right. Yeah, at worst case, I see students opening resources, cutting and pasting them, and trying to jiggle the words around to make it different from the original. Do you know that's actually quite a task? Because the sources are written by different people with different accents, often different languages. You know, some are in US English, some are in UK English. They've got different tenses, and the mashup at the end just doesn't read well. Additionally, what often happens then is there is a huge amount of text, but it doesn't actually answer the inquiry question well, because it's not expressing the students' views. It takes the students hours to do this, and then they end up with grades that just aren't that great. You know, if I had one wish, it would be that students were proud of their own voice and would write from their notes and um, the notes that they make as they research the topic thoroughly. So if this is so time-consuming and doesn't always lead to great grades, and it breaches academic honesty policies, why do students do it? Well, students are under a lot of pressure. This comes from many reasons. Often it's because they want the grades to please their parents. Uh, maybe they're not mature enough to understand that if they cut corners or cheat to get the grade, this will impact their education later. The perception that the grade is more important than the learning itself is a problem. The only reason to be in school is to be smarter tomorrow than you were today. If the student is simply pasting the words of another, how can any feedback from the teacher on how to improve be relevant or aid the student? There will be consequences, even if they are much, much later down the road. I remember the English teacher, Mr. Chris. I don't know if you remember him. I do, yes. He used to have this saying, and which I use with the students a lot, um, and it stuck in my head. You can pay me now or you can pay me later, but at some point you will have to pay. Indeed. I think of that statement a lot when I see students taking shortcuts in the learning process. How can you use Google Translate to do your Spanish homework and then hope to get to grade 12 and get a great grade in Spanish? You know, time pressure is another factor. Some students take a while to develop good time management skills, letting work accumulate to a point where they feel it is necessary to cut corners to meet deadlines. So speaking of skills, now might be a good time for us to actually focus on some of the essential um, skills that young people need. We often hear about 21st century skills and the need to prepare young people to enter a job market which many of us find difficult to even imagine a lot of the time. One thing that we can be sure of is that information will be easily accessible. So it's what you're able to do with that information that is important to employers. Anyone who is familiar with the IB has no doubt come across ATL skills, which stands for Approaches to Learning. Perhaps, TJ, you could talk a little bit about these ATL skills and the, and the ATL skill framework in the IB and specifically in the MYP. And then perhaps we could look more specifically at skills associated with research. The IB identifies five categories of ATL skills, communication, social, self-management, thinking and research skills. To be a successful learner in the modern age, students need to develop expertise in all. I think that the mastery of these skills is more important than the actual content delivered in the curriculum, because it's these skills which will define future attainment. Throughout the MYP program, the learning experience in the classroom are chosen to specifically draw upon and develop those skills. 
At Raha and many other schools, library skills classes focus only on the development of particular skills. We can already see from what we've spoken about today the necessity of such skills. Okay, so zooming in on the research skills, uh, these are divided into information literacy skills as well as media literacy skills. Information literacy is about finding, interpreting, judging and creating information, whereas media literacy focuses on the critical understanding and analysis of the way information is delivered in the various modes that make the media. This teaches students how to interact with media to use and create ideas and information. Examples of specific skills include evaluating sources for currency, purpose and value, making connections between different resources from differing origins, recognizing bias, understanding different media representations of events. The importance of acknowledgements is another, uh, another key skill that the students must develop throughout their NYP program. Uh, Acknowledgements are really important in the growth of knowledge because if people are to build on the knowledge that we're producing, we need to show that the, the foundation of that knowledge comes from a credible source. I could go on. The school specifically um, identifies with um, the MYP ATL framework of skills. If you want to know more about that, then you can see a link to the ATL skills framework on the library's homepage. Excellent. That was a little plug there. Did you get that? I did. <laughs> At this point, we should probably point out that the current ATL framework that we keep referring to uh, has been developed by Lance King. Uh, most MIP teachers have no doubt heard his name in recent years, and the resources which he has produced for the IB um, have been really helpful in getting to grips with making the teaching of these important skills explicit and valued by teachers and their students. For more information about Lance and his resources, pop over to taolearn.com. And Lance, if you're listening, please share this podcast with your many followers. Whilst I'm acknowledging sources, I can't ignore two educators who have certainly added great value to my role uh, and many other MIP coordinators. Lenny Dutton at the International School of Stuttgart and Alison Yawen Yang at KIS International School in Bangkok. Uh, these passionate IB educators constantly develop amazing resources which they share with MIP teachers around the world, from ATL skills posters and subject-specific skills frameworks to other aspects which will be covered in future podcasts, such as the personal project and interdisciplinary learning. Their resources are top-notch. Thank you both. To find Lenny's website, just Google The Excited Educator. And for Alison, go to alisonyang.weebly.com. Okay, so TJ. Perhaps you could select a couple of the specific skills in the two clusters mentioned previously and talk us through examples of how students develop these skills and what the progression might look like as they move through the five years of the MIP. Um, Lani Dutton was mentioned uh, in my grade 11 workshop last week um, when I was talking about referencing with them. On the, video, yes. the, the website that she has at her school is very, very useful. It's got a lot of great information on there. Okay, so you wanted to ask me about, um, I'm going to choose an, an easy example um, when I'm talking about specific skills that the students develop. Uh, I'm going to focus on referencing and acknowledging sources, or to put it in the terms, in Lance King's terms, 
understand and implement intellectual property rights, create references and citations, use footnotes, endnotes, and construct a bibliography according to recognized conventions. Quite a mouthful, yes. Yes, it is. I read that, actually, because I couldn't actually remember how to say that correctly. Um, so at the end of, um, at the beginning of NYP, we see that students have an idea that they should mention where they get the information from, but not really fully understanding why this is the case, and often they're just dumping links onto their work. Um, when I say links, I'm obviously referring to URLs, to their online resources. Now, throughout the MYP program, we have a vertically articulated program of classes through the library to develop referencing and acknowledgement skills. Now, we start by learning basic MLA order in grade six, and we are we actually use a dance. I don't know if you've ever seen that form when you um, come into my classes, the MLA dance as an aid memoir. Now, incidentally, using memory techniques to help remember key information is actually a research skill in itself. So the lesson acts as an example. Now, by the end of grade six the students can make a formal works cited page and in grade seven then we look at how to acknowledge images in our work and we learn how to make in-text citations in grade eight nine and ten we expand on this by learning how to make acknowledgements for other resources you know such as personal interviews videos blogs tweets Mm -hmm. and how to use dois and block quotations uh, digital object identifiers That's when you've got a really good source. You know it is a good source because URLs change over time, but digital object identifiers don't. So it's a way that they can always find that resource again. It's not going to change over time. Um, So by grade nine, we expect students to be expertly citing and referencing in their work. And at Raha, we have timetabled library lessons for students. Um, Talk us through this aspect and how you've managed to include a focus on research skills here. Now, the work we do in our library classes is reflected in the assessment expectations for that grade level in the individual subjects. And this is governed by our citing and referencing policy, which details the expectations, basically what will be assessed at that grade level. Now, if you'd like to know more about that citing and referencing policy at Raha, can you guess where you might look for it? (laughs) I think I might know. It's on the library's homepage. There's a link to it right there. Uh, Another example would be using the OPVL method to evaluate sources. Um, Using that method, the students consider the origin, purpose, value and limitations of the information that they're using. And one of the clusters within the thinking skills has a focus on developing critical thinking skills. Now, I notice this goes hand in hand with some of the research skills. For example, evaluate propositions and evidence to formulate an argument or revise understanding based on new information and evidence or consider ideas from multiple perspectives. From time to time in these podcasts, you'll notice that I bring in some official IB documentation into the conversation. For example, the standards and practices document by which all IB schools are judged when they go through evaluation visits. The practice that jumps out at the moment is found within the standards called students as lifelong learners. Perhaps you could read through the four points which come under the practice called Lifelong Learners 4. Students grow in their ability to make informed, reasoned, ethical judgments. Okay, so there is um, four strands to this. There's uh, Lifelong Learners 4.1. Students and teachers comply with IB academic integrity guidelines. 
4.2, students and teachers acknowledge the intellectual property of others when producing work. 4.3, the school provides support and guidance for students on acknowledging the work of others, including guidance on citation and referencing. And 4.4, teachers discuss with students the significance and importance of producing authentic and original work. Okay, so teachers are mentioned there a few times. So how do we ensure that teachers are kept up to date with all the changes, expectations, and are refreshed in their knowledge surrounding research skills, which the students need to be taught and assisted with? Okay, to recognize that we as teachers, and well, actually, not just teachers, but everybody in the community has a role in the production and dissemination of knowledge. You know, responsibility starts with R. It's our responsibility to analyze what we read, consider, evaluate the source, verify, cross-reference, and basically think before you speak. We are actually in an age where information spreads so fast that whether in the classroom or in Instagram, considering OPVLs on the information before reposting helps prevent the spread of misinformation. Indeed. Sorry, you asked specifically about teachers. At Raha, because our teachers come from very different backgrounds, we run annual PD sessions um, that's uh, professional development sessions to ensure that teachers are aware of the citing and referencing policy. In addition to this, our school manager back platform has integrated Turnitin database, which detects plagiarism. So it's really impossible for a teacher to be able to ignore looking for where a student is misusing resources. When this happens, our academic honesty policy calls for the teacher to make various actions. And working through these processes keeps the idea of using correctly information at the forefront of everybody's mind. If you'd like to know more about the academic honesty policy, yeah, you know, don't you? Where are you going? <laughs> Indeed. And you can see that in the details at the end of the podcast. Or you can just visit the library's homepage. <laughs> Uh, I do think that one of the things that I would like to see in the future, just touching on that a bit with teachers staying up to date um, with the students and everybody being on the same page, is perhaps a change to the citing and referencing policy, to change it to the use of information policy. Good idea. Um, because I think it would be really valuable to review our note-taking expectations across the grade level. I really believe that note-taking is a key to using and building information. Indeed, and a lost art, some might say. So, TJ, we're nearly at the end of this episode. I'd just like to mention that when the students reach grade 10, or MYP5 as it's called in IB lingo, they get to undertake the personal project. This is an opportunity for them to showcase not only their research skills, but also social, self-management, thinking and communication skills. However, it is the research aspect that really shines through in these projects. And it's, it's actually rather spectacular what many of our students have produced over the years. What are some of the projects that have stood out for you? Oh, there's t there really are too many to mention. Um, obviously, the one that springs to mind is, you'll remember the girl who made the guitar out of the pencils? Oh, yes. And that was phenomenal. It was eye-catching and great. But sometimes when you're reading them, you simply enjoy them because they have an, you have a natural interest to their topic. Um, this year, 
I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm going to mention any names, but I did love reading the report of the student who made face masks. <laughs> I felt that not only was her project relevant and useful, her research was diverse. She'd not only researched recipes for face masks, that would be basic. Um, she'd gone on to um, interview her friends and research there to, to identify the common skin problems that teenagers were having. And then she'd found basic recipes, but she hadn't stopped there. She'd gone on to interview dermatologists to identify common allergies so that her recipes could avoid the those triggers. Um, so that one really springs to mind and it's really about when they do the personal project, how they use that the, that information that they've researched to inform Indeed. the building yep. of their project and that's, that's right. what scores those high marks. Now. I do remember a few years back now, a student who taught his brother to swim. Now, he had to um, research swim drills and swim guides and interview swim coaches, but there was there was more value than that because, uh, of course, his brother at the end of it could, could swim, right? And wow. they had that. It's really hard to teach a family member something. I don't know if you've ever tried with your own family. Depends so, who, yes. <laughs> so it really, really challenged those um, ATL skills that we were just talking about because he really had to get in there and teach his brother something that was valuable to him and um, I think that they built on a great connection between the two of them Excellent. afterwards which was really nice it's something that they will look on look back on forever I'm sure um, and uh, the last one I would think I'd like to mention is a student who created a project plan for a social outreach program to encourage and support inclusion with students in the community massively important she did a huge amount of research on that and actually it culminated in a letter from the Special Olympics headquarters asking her to participate in the 2019 Special Olympics Global Youth Leadership Summit, which is really quite special. Yes, it was indeed. I think she's in grade 12 this year, isn't she? Yes. That's right. <laughs> Um, the funny thing was, when you mentioned face masks, the first thing I thought was these horrible face masks that we have to wear at the moment, not a face mask as was made by the student. Anyway, TJ, thanks so much for that. And of course, we'll be talking more about um, the personal project in, um, in a later episode. Next year's grade 10s will be the first to be working with the new personal project framework, so we're all rather excited about this change. So that's the end of the first episode. TJ, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for letting me be your first person on the podcast. Thanks for listening to MYP Decoded. Please subscribe to be informed of upcoming episodes. And thank you to Yashas Acharya for all the clever behind-the-scenes technical operations. Until next time, goodbye.